0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome into episode 128 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Pleased to be joining you guys once again. We are halfway through the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season. Fox has finished up their half of the year. NBC takes over this weekend at Nashville Super Speedway. So tonight we are doing the 2023 NASCAR Mid-Season Report Card. Going to talk about some of the hot topics in the sport, the 2024 schedule, debate who's Hall of Fame worthy and who isn't. So joining me on tonight's show is none other than Josh Manley. How's it going tonight, Josh?
1: It's going great, Jake. Uh, I'm not teaching summer school this year, but I'm afraid some of these drivers might be taking it next year.
0: Maybe a couple of Austins?
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: I would say so. Well, I appreciate you uh, joining me tonight, buddy. And safe to say, as we kick the show off, From one Josh to another, Josh Berry, on Wednesday afternoon at Charlotte Motor Speedway, was officially announced as the new driver of the number four Ford for Stuart Haas Racing beginning in 2024, taking the place of Kevin Harvick, who is set to retire after this season. So, Josh, I wanted to get your thoughts and expectations on the other Josh.
1: Well, he's got a great name, so he's got that going (laughs) for him right off the bat. But, uh, no, honestly, my expectations for him going into next year, first full-time season in Cup, are going to be a little tempered. Yeah. Um, As the guys just mentioned on the broadcast, and I was going to bring up, as, you know, Stuart Haas has struggled this year quite a bit. um, Last couple years, quite honestly. And uh, a couple names come to mind when I think about how Josh Berry is going to do. I think of Ty Gibbs, Chase Briscoe, Austin Sendrick, how they tore it up in the Xfinity series. And then they came up to Cup and they kind of hit a roadblock a little bit and have struggled the last couple of years. So my expectations are tempered. I think I'd be surprised if he makes the playoffs next year, but we know that four-car has a way of finding its way in victory lane, so I wouldn't rule it out.
0: Oh, absolutely, Josh. And that's the other thing when this announcement was made on Wednesday. Dale Earnhardt Jr. himself said, if you're going into the Cup Series in 2024, like Josh is after 15 seasons with Junior Motorsports, he said there is no better crew chief to learn from than Rodney Childers. I mean, Rodney from the time that team was assembled in 2014, they won the championship that year. They've won 37 races together. He, he and Kevin Harvick. But that's the thing. This is a totally different animal with the Cup Series and with the next-gen car. And Josh did a remarkable job filling in for Chase Elliott and for Alex Bowman. But like we talked about a couple months ago when we did the the draft show, his first laps in a next-gen car were not until Saturday morning at Las Vegas Motor Speedway after Chase Elliott broke his leg. So realistically, I'm kind of in the same boat as you are where I could see him potentially missing the playoffs. But at the same time, we know about his prowess on the short tracks, Richmond, Martinsville phoenix i feel like if josh is going to shine next year those are definitely the places that he would
1: oh definitely the other uh example i was going to bring up too is you know we all kind of thought once Corey LeJoy hopped in the nine with uh uh chase's suspension i think we kind of figured he was gonna you know be up front contented for a win possibly and he was in the back pretty much all day so yeah. it just goes to show you could have all the talent in the world but these cars are hard to drive and it's a cup series for a reason so he's gonna have some growing pains for sure
0: yeah, he definitely will. And even that weekend at Las Vegas, I mean, he qualified 32nd and he finished 29th, Josh's first time in, in the nine car. And even, you know, he had some struggles at Darlington when he filled in for Alex Bowman. Now, right. there's definitely been some positives to it when he did finish second to Kyle Larson at Richmond, when he did win the All-Star Open at North Wilkesboro Speedway. But like you've talked about and like we'll talk about here in a second, Stuart Haas Racing, they've definitely been on the decline Ever since about 2021 or so. And as great as it is for Josh, it's definitely going to be rebuilding mode over at SHR. And you will not believe who else is a possible candidate for the 10 car in 2024. Who's that? Michael McDowell.
1: That'd be awesome.
0: That sure would be awesome. I personally think he would get more out of that car than Eric Almarola has done over the past. Oh, for
1: years sure. They were just talking on the broadcast about how he gets everything out of that car. He hardly ever makes mistakes, and he's driving, you know, subpar equipment, obviously. And there you got Eric Amarola with one top ten on the whole season so far in the premier ride. So I, I would be all for that move.
0: Definitely. Now, Rodney Childers, like I talked about, the great connection with Josh and with Rodney is their backgrounds are very, very similar. With Josh, he caught the attention of Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2008 when they were racing online. And this is sort of about the time that Junior Motorsports was starting to evolve into a really good nationwide series team. So he worked his way from the ground up, whether it was racing late models at the Nashville Fairgrounds, and then eventually the NASCAR Weekly Racing Series winning the national championship in 2020. Rodney himself, before he pursued this career as a crew chief, he raced short tracks up and down the Carolinas. He actually did a NASCAR Busch Series race in 2000 against Kevin Harvick and Tim Fido, his driver and his spotter. But eventually, hmm. things just in the line. So I feel like this is definitely going to be a great combination. We know how great Rodney is and how even-keeled he is, too. Yeah, no doubt. He's
1: definitely in good hands with the crew chief. And, you know, Greg Zipidelli being a part of the organization, he's got some good mentors to fall back on. I just worry about some of the other drivers in that stable there. haven't really had much success so far, so that would be my only concern.
0: Yeah, and Tony Seward himself, you know, Tony said during the press conference on Wednesday that he wants his drivers to be blue-collar racers. He doesn't want them to come in with Daddy's checkbook, which is kind of ironic when you look at his Xfinity team with Cole Custer and Riley Herbst.
1: Right, yeah, this is a clear example of a guy that's earned his way up and has definitely uh, deserved the ride that he's being given.
0: 32 years old, from Hendersonville, Tennessee, you see all these kids nowadays, you know, Chase was 20 the beginning of his rookie season. William Byron, I believe, was 20 or 21 as well. And when Dale Jr. had Josh on the other day, he said, just to put it in perspective, my dad was 28 years old when he won Rookie of the Year in 1979. And another guy that he beat for Rookie of the Year in 79, Harry Gant was 39 years old, Josh. 39 years old and he was winning races at 52 and which is a record i don't think will ever be broken no not
1: at all as long as the performance is there i mean josh could race another 13 15 years if he's taking care of himself
0: just like greg biffle greg biffle was 33 when he moved up to the cup series so Mm -hmm. this is a win for local racers across america when you think of it when you think of thousands of racers that one day dream if they can make it to the highest level on NASCAR, and Josh defied the odds. No doubt. Definitely. Now, it makes me wonder, when Dale Jr. was doing his podcast on Wednesday with Josh and with Mike Davis, I believe Kelly Earnhardt Miller said that Josh will be, I believe, the 10th full-time Cup Series driver in 2024 that has raced for Junior Motorsports at some point or another. And it begs the question, who do you feel has the best eye for talent in the Cup Series? When you look at Dale Earnhardt Jr., Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, there's only eight drivers in the Cup Series right now that didn't race for Junior Motorsports, Brad Keselowski Racing, or Kyle Busch Motorsports at some point.
1: All right. Yeah, it's a good good question. Um you you would know better than I would like who are some of these drivers that they brought up through the ranks, but I will say only one of those owners currently has a cup team, so yeah. I mean, in that regard, granted Brad drives for himself, but I don't know. I I, I t- if I had to just take the question at face value without knowing any of the specifics, my personal opinion I would say Kyle Busch.
0: That's definitely solid. I mean, when you think of Eric Jones, for instance, he noticed Eric Jones at the Snowball Derby in 2012 when he was 16 years old, and Eric ended up beating him, and immediately Kyle put the groundwork in for him to get that truck ride in 2013 and run a few races before he could turn 18 years old. Right. The amazing thing with with Dale Earnhardt Jr. is when he formed Chance 2 with Teresa – he gave Martin Trex Jr. his big break. He gave Brad Keselowski his, his big break. And even Chase Elliott, William Byron, Tyler Reddick. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a good, good debate. But it is pretty incredible when you think of Martin Trex Jr. He won two Bush championships with Dale Jr. 2004, 2005. And then you have Chase Elliott, William Byron, and Tyler Reddick. They also won championships for junior motorsports, so. Nothing nothing against Brad, but I think it's, it's definitely narrowed between Dale Jr. and Kyle Busch, in my opinion.
1: I would, ag- I would agree with that, for sure.
0: Definitely. While we're on the subject of Stuart Haas Racing, on Monday, Bob Potriff was the one that broke the news that Richard Boswell, who has been the crew chief for the 98 Xfinity car at Stuart Haas Racing that he would be reuniting with Chase Briscoe beginning this weekend at Nashville Super Speedway. The two of them together in 2020, Chase won nine races. Richard was a part of six of them. He was suspended when that that tungsten fell out of the car at Miami. But together from 2018 to 2020, they won nine Xfinity races together. I just want to get your thoughts on Chase being reunited with his most successful crew chief.
1: Well, I certainly don't know too much about Richard Boswell, but I can tell you that something had to change there because Chase Briscoe is having an abysmal season. Um, I believe he won Phoenix last year at this point, so he already had a win in the books. But, I mean, so far this year, I haven't heard his name once, to be completely honest, as far as contending for a win or even a top five. So they had to shake it up in one way, shape, or form. If I could just circle back real quick to the previous question about the, the owners. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out real quick, too, that I certainly think that Junior's alliance with Hendrick and uh, Bush with Gibbs for all these years has certainly helped their uh, ownership and their ability to bring up some of these drivers to the ranks because there was no doubt that Rick Hendrick was going to get the likes of Chase Elliott and whatnot. So yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think Brad really had the support of you know Roger Penske or any of those guys, for example.
0: Yeah, that's a great point that you bring up because when Junior Motorsports began in 2005, they were building their cars in-house and they were getting their engines from Richard Childress. And Dale Jr. said, I mean, he had guys like Mark McFarland and Shane Hoffman. And even though they showed the potential in late models, they tore a bunch of equipment up because the cars were terrible. And so, you know, going over to Hendrick Motorsports and creating that alliance between the two of them, that definitely spearheaded Junior Motorsports into being one of the powerhouse teams in the series. And Kyle Busch, the biggest thing with him switching over to Chevrolet this year, it still remains to be seen if they're going to be as dominant as they were with Toyota.
1: Right. And I don't think either of us want to sit here and blow any more smoke up the asses of these rich owners. But no. I just wanted to point out that I don't think either of them would have acquired the drivers they had if it wasn't for that alliance with those bigger teams.
0: Brad Keslowski, when he caught the attention of Dale Earnhardt Jr., was racing for a Bush Series team by the name of Keith Coleman Racing. Hmm. So this was in March of 2007. They closed their doors by June. Wow. And Brad thought that his career was over right then and there. And then Ted Musgrave loses his colt in a truck race at Milwaukee. He gets suspended. Brad drives that truck in Memphis, wins the pole, and was on his way to winning the race before Travis Quaple spun him out with a couple laps to go. And you right. know, that night at New Hampshire immediately got on the phone and left a voicemail for Brad and the rest of they say is history.
1: That small team that you just mentioned sounds like one of the haulers uh, you'd see broke down on fire on the side of the highway or a car stolen from in the middle of the night or something like that.
0: Yeah. Like Mike Harmon or Jennifer Joe Cobb. Right. Yeah. So the biggest thing like we were talking about with Chase Briscoe, he had Johnny Klossmeyer as his crew chief and Johnny, was the crew chief on the 14 in 2020 when Clint Boyer retired. They did win their first race together at Phoenix March of last year. They came within a strategy call of going to the championship four. But it was definitely alarming. So many races this year, especially at mile-and-a-half tracks, where the very beginning of the race, Chase would drop all the way back to like 33rd or 34th. And by the time that Donnie would make the adjustments, and everything would already be too late by then. They'd be a lap or two down and finish somewhere in the 20s. And that penalty at Charlotte, a 125-point penalty, that definitely sealed Johnny O'Klossmeyer's fate. I think at that point, Tony and Gene, they had no choice but to, to shake it up.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I don't think Tim's watched too many races this year, but if he did, he'd probably be pulling the little bit of hair that he has out because Briscoe's not been – at all, so
0: they had a stretch in the month of April where Chase scored three top five finishes in a row. It was, but think of the places that they scored the top fives at the Bristol Dirt Race, Martinsville, and Talladega. Mm. So, I mean, th- those tracks they don't really, you know, they don't really show shed any light on who's been good and who sucked. I mean, those are just. Oddball racetracks, as Brad Keselowski likes to call them. Yeah, I would agree. So, also in the news this week, Josh Harris, who is the new owner of the Washington Commanders and has owned the Philadelphia 76ers since 2011, he has bought an ownership stake into Joe Gibbs Racing. Now, sadly, Josh, as we know, just hours after Ty Gibbs won the 2022 NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship at Phoenix. Unexpectedly, his father Corey passed away at the age of 49, and I can't even imagine for Joe Gibbs having buried both of his sons. So obviously, the question has become ever since then: What's going to happen with Joe Gibbs Racing once he passes away? You know, who's who's going to be the one to run the ship? Because Ty Gibbs is 20 years old; he's not close to being a better owner. So I just want to get your thoughts on Josh Harris buying a stake into the team, obviously that Washington connection, but I've also heard that boy Gibbs's widow, Heather, that she's starting to become more and more involved with the day-to-day operations of JPR.
1: Well, my first thought when I read this headline here is how much money this guy must have to buy two sports franchises and now a stake in a NASCAR team. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I hope this, you know, I don't know much about this Heather Gibbs, but I hope this doesn't turn into an Earnhardt situation I don't where think- you've got... Sorry. I was, I was just going to say where you've got, you know, the woman getting involved and tears the team apart and, you know, Joe's out of the picture because he's obviously getting up there in age and uh, I mean, we'll see how the commanders run. You can't really get much worse than what Dan Snyder did there, but um, seems like a good move. I don't know. We'll see if it pays off.
0: Yeah. So the biggest thing with Heather Gibbs is she's a real estate agent in North Carolina. So, I mean, she does have some sort of, some sort of business background to her. Um, Back when Kyle Busch just sold his house not too long ago, I believe Heather was the the real estate agent that he went to. I mean, Hey, anyone's, anyone's an upgrade over Teresa Earnhardt. That's for sure. Right. Josh Harris. when, When I talked to Boone the other day about Josh Harris, when Josh bought the 76ers in 2011, they were a decent team. They had a great run in 2012. They knocked the Bulls out in the first round, had a great series with the Celtics before ultimately losing to them. And then that season, Josh Harris just sort of blew up the roster right then and there. And then next thing you know, the Sixers are winning 14, 15 games. And talking about the whole trust the process. Because. And with the commanders, I mean, it it can't get any worse, like you were saying. And we'll talk about it obviously in the next show that we do. But I think it's safe to say Ron Rivera is by far on the hot seat going into this year, especially.
1: Right. And I'd just like to point out in typical Philadelphia fashion, just like the Eagles used to do, the Sixers had the ultimate choke job these last couple of <laughs> postseasons. So just had to get that in there.
0: <laughs> we know. And then loves- they
1: fired Doc Rivers, who I think is actually a pretty decent coach, but you can't survive in Philly.
0: No, not one bit. Your love for Philadelphia, man. I... <laughs> Tradition, unlike any
1: other. Yeah.
0: So now hey, that I got to get
1: out. those jobs in when I can, because if the Eagles are going to keep going to Super Bowls, I'm not going to have much to rest my laurels on anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's face it: the Flyers have not won a championship since 1975. The Sixers, mm-hmm. sorry, Sean Rozanski, it's been since 1983 since they won a championship. And with the Phillies, it's been 2008. So I'm sure you're pretty happy with those droughts.
1: Well, speaking of Rozanski, I'm watching the Braves beat the Reds 5-4 to right now. So you're welcome.
0: streak coming to an end. Let's hope. Let's hope. (laughs) So since we're halfway through the season, obviously a lot of talk has begun regarding the 2024 NASCAR Cup Series schedule. Obviously the only two things that are set in stone the Daytona 500 will be on February 18th, and the season will commence once again at Phoenix Raceway on November 3rd, the fifth consecutive season that they will host the championship race. Me personally, and Josh, it, I was excited about Phoenix when they announced that they were going to get the finale, but now I'm ready for someone else to have it.
1: I hear you, man. You know me; I'm an NASCAR purist, and I'm a big advocate of having the season finale at the series' toughest track, which I believe is Darlington. So, Both. until they have the finale at that track, I'm not going to be satisfied with wherever it is.
0: Me neither. And I've been listening to Denny Hamlin's podcast a lot ever since he began back in February, and he said the biggest thing with Phoenix is, you know, how Jeff Gluck runs that poll every Monday. Like, was such and such a good race. Right. And all three years. I mean, aside from when Chase won in 2020, of course, you know that that vote was going to get inflated by his fan base. Right. But with Larson in 2021 and Joey Logano in 2022 and just the lack of racing in both of those races. Was it a good race? Over 50% of the fan base voted no for both of those championship races. Well, Jake, is it
1: just me, or does it seem like every year we go through this nonsense where, coincidentally, the four finalists for the championship are never outside the top five? It seems they're always yeah. up there, running one through four, fighting for the win. It's like, okay, it's you have a hard—that's that, like trying to find a needle in the haystack. Chances, but somehow it happens. Are they giving them fifty more horsepower, or what's the deal?
0: It's that game seven moment that Brian France talked about. You know, yeah. I mean, think of it. You know, in twenty twenty, Chase. Brad, Joey, and Denny, like you were saying, they ran one, two, three, four all day, and Jimmy, in what honestly should have been the final race of his career, he was half a straightaway behind them in fifth. It was the same right. in 2021, you know, with, with Larson, Truex, Denny, and and Chase. Once again, one, two, three, four, and here's Ryan Blaney, about half a lap behind them. Yeah.
1: Well, all kidding aside, it would not surprise me one bit if there's some sort of hush-hush agreement within NASCAR where I don't know what exactly it is, but there's got to be something that they're doing to these top four cars where they're all running up front like that because that's just this too coincidental for me to believe that it's anything else.
0: Nod, nod, wink, wink. All right. I mean, and I'm not trying to be a sore loser about that day in 2020. It still stings for both of us. But please explain to me how, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Chase Elliott, please explain to me how his car fails pre-race inspection, he has to go to the back of the field, we know how tough it is to pass at Phoenix. 39 cars were in that race, and within 20 laps, he's running in the top 10.
1: Well, Jake, it's NASCAR's golden child, and you and I discussed it. We were surprised as all how that they actually did it and suspended him.
0: I know. I know. Bravo to them. Hell definitely froze over that afternoon. No doubt. The biggest thing with, with Phoenix, with this next-gen car, and you've seen how it's ruined the racing at the short tracks and the road courses. And, I mean, God, Sonoma, I even fell asleep during that race. (laughs) Denny Hamlin brought up another interesting point as far as Phoenix when it was announced that they'll have the finale again in 2024. And Denny said part of the other problem with Phoenix and with these smaller racetracks and with the road courses, like a Richmond, a Martinsville and whatnot, like Sonoma, is that Goodyear is bringing way, way too soft of a tire. A tire that has no wear on it whatsoever. I mean, we saw it at Sonoma. You know, Kyle Busch stayed out, had barely a top 10 car with him staying out. He finished second at Turex. Right. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. As much of a problem as we have with this next gen car, I, I don't feel like Goodyear is helping them out either.
1: No, and it's a sport that, let's face it, is hurting for fans, and they're not doing anything to help their cause with boring race after boring race, week in and week out. And speaking of those Jeff Gluck polls, I almost always vote no on those, because I I, I I don't remember the last time I actually watched a good race.
0: Probably the 600, honestly. Yeah, I guess. But the problem with the 600 was all the rain delays.
1: But every time I see those polls, I think to myself, man, what what constitutes a good race? Because to some fans, it's a lot of wrecks and cautions. To other fans, it's a late restart. To, to others, it's a lot of passes. It's like, what so criteria that, do you use to judge a good race?
0: Well, to the Chase Elliott fans, it's as long as he gets a good finish.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the biggest thing, and like you talked about, it seems like for a lot of fans that vote yes, it, it's when it's aided by a late caution. It's when you have the big one. It's when you have a massive wreck. It's basically when as long as, and you know how I feel about him, but as long as Joey Logano doesn't win, as long as Denny Hay doesn't win, it seems like those two are the most polarizing guys in the sport anymore.
1: Right, and it seems like every week there's a late race restart because it's a crash fest at the end of every race. All the guys yeah. are going for a win, and it's just wreck after wreck after wreck.
0: It's it's amazing how you could be sitting there watching a race, and there's say about you know 25 laps left, and you're like, oh yeah, this should be over. And then, boom! As soon as you think that, a caution comes out. They re-rack them, and then wreck again, wreck again, wreck. And then before you know it, an hour later, it's finally over.
1: You read my mind. I was just about to say the last 25 laps seem to take as long as the rest of the race combined.
0: So I guess we're in for the uh, Pocono 420 next month. <laughs> <laughs> no (laughs) pun intended (laughs) so talking about the 2024 schedule and you and i talked at length the night of this particular race but it sounds like the Bristol dirt race may finally be put out to pasture in 2024
1: yeah i was okay with the experiment in the beginning and i love watching a race on easter sunday night but i think it's kind of run its course and i'm ready for a a revamped schedule move there with that, whether it's going back to the concrete at Bristol or a different track entirely.
0: Yeah, me too. I liked the idea the first year, but then even in that first race, I sort of realized a lot of issues that there were, whether it was with, you know, like the windshields, for instance, that was one thing. And then Mm -hmm. about like halfway through the race, all of a sudden, Oh, we're going to do single file starts the rest of the day. And from that point on, I just thought to myself, like, God, this is just the latest gimmick that NASCAR has come up with. And the the night race at Bristol, to me, is one of the crown jewels in the sport. It, it is. And I so miss that spring race being on the concrete at Bristol. Now, as I have it here in the outline, there is a possibility that it could return to the concrete. But there's also a possibility, Josh, that... The spring race at Bristol Motor Speedway could be going to none other than North Wilkesboro. Who ever imagined that?
1: And normally I'd be pretty excited about that move, but as we saw with the All-Star race, it was pretty nonchalant for a race that I expected a lot more out of.
0: Here's here's the, the thing that I think they need to do with North Wilkesboro if they want this to be a success. First off, as much as I love Dale Jr., the idea of keeping the old pavement definitely bit them in the ass. Because, Josh, the last time that pavement – the last time they had a repave at North Wilkesboro, you want to take a guess? Couldn't
1: tell you.
0: 1981. Wow. So it's no wonder why the field got strung out. It's no wonder why Kyle Larson had a 10-11 second lead in the all-star race of all things. And right. the other thing, too, like I've talked about before – You know, for the longest time, we all wanted night racing, night racing, night racing. But you see, with the night racing, you can't pass anyone. You don't really have that much action. You get out there on a Sunday when it's a hot, slick racetrack and everybody's sliding around. People are coming. People are going. To me, I feel like they need to repave it and they need to make the day race.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Well, this one, I truly hope for is that next year for the first time since 2020 it's sounding like we may finally have the brickyard 400 back
1: and who would have thought we'd say that when the last couple races on the, on the oval were pretty lackluster
0: well that dumbass 550 horsepower high downforce package it's no wonder why those things were snooze fest all right To me, that I mean, that ruined racing at Indy, that ruined racing at Pocono, it ruined racing at a lot of mile-and-a-half tracks. I mean, you look at that, that fall race at Kansas in 2020. Kevin Harvick, he's been the fastest all year. Joey Logano and Paul Wolf, I think they took two on the last stop. And here's Joey blocking Kevin down the front stretch, you know, cutting, cutting down on the apron, cutting back up. I'm thinking to myself, like, you're meaning to tell me, because we have 550 horsepower that now that Kevin Harvick is stuck in dirty air, he can't pass he can't pass the guy that he's been faster than all day.
1: Right. Was, I mean I'm,
0: that was one. Of the I'm most- all
1: for I'm all for the the road course racing growing up Jeff Gordon. fantasy easy to see why, but yeah. uh, you know, if the only two road courses on the circuit were Sonoma and Watkins Glen, I'd be okay with that.
0: Yeah, I feel like we've definitely gone overkill the past five years. I like the the Roval, but now, especially with the next-gen car, I feel like it's, it's pretty much run its course, as, as we'll talk about here in a second. But, um, yeah, man, I feel like with the next-gen... That's the weird thing with the next-gen. We had so many crappy races on mile-and-a-half tracks with the Gen 6 car, and short-track racing and road-course racing was just incredible. And now here we are with the next-gen who ever imagined that mile and a half and intermediate tracks would produce the best racing in the sport right now?
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: There it is. So, next weekend, unprecedented story. We're going back to the Chicago market for the first time since nineteen, but it's not going to be at Chicagoland, it's going to be at the streets of Chicago. The thing is, Josh, I'm hearing so much in the Chicago area that there's this issue and that issue. There's traffic issues. There's, you know, you got the Lollapalooza thing that happens 4th of July weekend.
2: Gun violence.
0: Yeah, exactly. I get that it's the third biggest market on the country, but you're racing through the streets of one of the most violent cities in all of America. And Lori Lightfoot it seems like she was really the only one that was the advocate for this Chicago street race. So I want to know this spectacle that we're going to have next Sunday, is it going to be a one and done?
1: And very well, maybe. I mean, I'm willing to give it a shot because Chicago land again, like we were saying with Indy wasn't exactly a, a ball of fun, but um i think we'll probably know pretty early on if this is going to be something that will stick around or not it's a little peculiar that they're doing it on you know fourth of july weekend but at the same time like i said i'll give it a chance and see how it goes
0: yeah for sure well hey this might be aj allmendinger's uh, ticket to the playoffs potentially given all the street racing experience that he had in kart and indycar
1: you know and that was something i was going to bring up earlier too is you know I, i could see nascar throwing all these road courses in as a way to say hey listen you guys want good racing and you want to see some of the lesser guys win races, this is how we're going to set it up. So not that they've exactly done that, but I I could see NASCAR using that as a rationale to throw more road courses in there.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you think of it, AJ Allmendinger, as we'll get to here in a second, I feel like he's definitely been one of the bigger disappointments this year. But when you look at Sonoma, Chicago, Watkins Glen, the Roval, you know that those are going to be hit his chances to shine. You know, if we still had Marcus Ambrose in the sport, you know that that Marcus would be salivating for, for these races. Um, no doubt. But at the same time, even though it could definitely level the playing field, or Robbie Gordon is another one now that I think of it, even though it could level the playing field, it still seems like Hendrick Motorsports, they still find a way to kick everybody's asses on, on these road courses.
1: Right. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, instead of getting lesser guys winning these races, we're getting Chase Elliott winning them all instead. Or, Or Larson. Yeah, the next worst thing.
0: Yeah. So, the interesting thing, talking about this next possible rumor with the schedule, is that for the first time since 1958, NASCAR could be racing north of the border in the Cup Series. Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal, which Formula One was at on Sunday, Max Verstappen scoring the 41st win of his career, tying the late great Ayrton Senna. But Circuit Gilles Villeneuve might have a cup race in 2024. Now, even though it's been a staple in Formula One since the 80s, the NASCAR Xfinity Series had some amazing races there from 2007 to 2012. You think of. Robbie Gordon spinning Marcus Ambrose out under caution and getting suspended from Pocono. You think of Ron Fellows winning there in the rain, Carl Edwards passing Marcus Ambrose when he jumped over the curb coming off of the final turn. So, Josh, I want to get your thoughts on potentially a race in Montreal, and at the same time, if we do get it, what race are you getting rid of?
1: So this would be – what is this, a road course again? Yes. Oh, God. Well, I mean, if they're going to add another road course, then I think you have to get rid of one of them. Um, I would say the Roval, but if they get rid of that, they may just go back to the Oval Charlotte. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's a tough, tough question.
0: Because the biggest thing with with the Circuit Gilles Villeneuve is it's not owned by the France family, and it's not owned by Marcus Smith either. So. Right. so so immediately like you think like you know Watkins Glen is owned by the France family and you know Marcus he owns Charlotte and Sonoma and all these places so it's it's kind of hard to say but i'm going to i'm going to this is a bit of a hot take but i'm going to say it right here if on July 30th if their race sucks once again and they have no desire to repave that track whatsoever Honestly, Josh, I never thought I would say this a couple of years ago, but I would take a race away from Richmond.
2: Yeah, I can see that.
0: I mean, honestly, it has it was one of the hottest tickets in NASCAR, late nineties, early two thousands. And really over the past decade or so, it's it's become really one of the more dull races there is. Right. So honestly, if if they are gonna get Montreal on the schedule, that that's probably the one race that, that I would probably put on the chopping block which i never ever imagined
1: i I would say take away one of the kansas races that would be my pick
0: yeah which which is interesting since that was probably one of the better races that we've had this year but at the same time you also wonder like is it really worthy of having two races
1: i think if they do substitute that with a with a race i think you're probably looking at getting rid of one of the road courses or one of the tracks that have two races i highly doubt they'll take away a track that has one yeah.
0: And that's an interesting point that Joey Logano had not too long ago. He He's basically of the mindset that he feels that every track should only have one race. I want to get your thoughts on that.
1: Uh, Well, I guess he's in favor of shortening the season then too, huh? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, sadly, I think that's probably a reality. Not anytime soon, but I would say within the next 10 years, I doubt it will still be a 36 race season. It
0: definitely will be, but I definitely don't see it going all the way into November. I mean, it's wild to think that we start around Valentine's Day and up until a couple of years ago, we'd be finishing just a few days before Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, I think when you talk to the drivers in the garage, they all say how long and grueling the season is with, you know, the very little time off that they get. So,
0: Yeah, uh, during their playoffs, they get murdered by the NFL.
1: For as much as I love watching the races on Sunday, I've told you this numerous times, like I'm to the point now where I, Kind of like to find something better to do on Sundays because the races are so uninteresting.
0: Yeah, and some of them are just way too long. Yep. So, as we talked about with the Roval, there is that possibility that Charlotte Motor Speedway, for the first time since 2017, that their fall race may be back on the Oval. Josh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Roval, if this is potentially the last time that we do race on it on October 8th. Yay or nay?
1: I'm okay with getting rid of it. I'm not a fan of the man-made road courses. Um, like I said, if it was just Sonoma Watkins Glen, I'd be okay with that. So I'm all in favor of getting rid of the Roval.
0: Me as well, because here's the thing. I never imagined when we debut this next-gen car. You can make the argument the best track that is suited for the next-gen car right now is Charlotte. Where sure. you look at the last two Coke 600s, because – The Coke 600 during the 550 horsepower era, so you had Truex in 2019, Brad in 2020, Larson in 2021. And the one common theme with those three Coke 600s with the 550 horsepower was, I damn near fell asleep in all three of those races. Right. And with Charlotte, last year with the 600, and this year, even with it being on a Monday, you had nonstop action from the drop of the green flag to the checkered flag. And it sure as hell became NASCAR's longest race became a true marathon. And you saw so many guys being able to slide around, whether daytime, nighttime, comers and goers, like we've talked about. So honestly, I really, really would love seeing the fall race back on because I'll even say it. Like when I was younger, that was usually the weekend of my birthday was the fall race with Charlotte. So I think it would be cool just sort of go back in time.
1: Right. And I think when we talk about getting rid of racetracks, I mean, you and I have been to Pocono millions of times. I've been to Watkins Glen. This year will be the second year. Dover, all that. And, you know, you see the cities and the way they just embrace race weekend. It's, it's a different atmosphere than any other time of the year. So I think you have to take that into consideration when you're talking about pulling the plug on certain racetracks, because that's such a, Money maker and a business for some of those smaller businesses up in those areas.
0: Well, especially with Pocono. I mean, back in 2019, they had three race weekends. You had the June race, the July race, and then the Indy cars used to come up there. And of course, you know, there was all that talk about was it, you know, was it too, too dangerous for Indy car to be up there, take it for what it's worth. But you lose that weekend. Then you morph everything into, you know, the double header weekend. So, now, here's Pocono Raceway. They only have that area in particular, all the local restaurants, hotels, and all that stuff. They only have one weekend, where they right. had three just a few years ago. And Pocono is the third largest city on race day behind only Pittsburgh and Philly. All
1: right. And it does stink for, for the fans and, and the businesses, but I will say when they had two races up there, the last couple of years, it seemed like the infield was getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. But now that they only have that one race, I think people – it's a hot ticket now because Pocono is usually a fuel mileage race, you know, tra- shifting, transmissions, breaking, all that stuff. It's, it's a different animal. So I, I think people are clamoring to come to that now that it's only one time. So, I, you know, they sell out pretty good up there.
0: Yeah. Well, it was that way for Darlington Raceway when Darlington lost the Southern 500 when it went to California Labor Day weekend you saw from 2005 to 2019 how the Southern 500 was a hot ticket and would sell out like months in advance because obviously, you know, you're, you're yearning for that, that, that second race again. So,
1: and, so- and when Darlington brought back that Southern 500, I mean, the, the big thing that they did was the throwback paint schemes. I, so all the tracks should figure out some way to do, maybe not that, but some kind of idea to draw fans in because that. I mean, we all look forward to, oh, what's my driver driving this year? Is it going to look like this or that? It's like something we all look forward to.
0: Even North Wilkesboro, for that matter. Right. And I'll say right here, honestly, I mean, we still haven't seen what he's going to run for his final race on November 5th at Phoenix. But so far for me, Josh, and, and personally, coming from an Earnhardt fan and how tragic 2001 was for me, My favorite paint scheme so far this year was when Kevin brought back the 29 for one last time.
1: Yeah, that was a cool-looking car.
0: Sure was. And finally, talking about going back to the early 2000s, could you believe that potentially the all-star race could be at Rockingham Speedway?
1: I'd be all for that.
0: Oh, me too. I mean, it's been sitting dormant since 2004. I know they try and revitalize it around 2012, 2013 with the truck series. Obviously, all the money that North Carolina got, you know, the the COVID money in 2021, it went to good use revitalizing North Wilkesboro. And if you can get North Wilkesboro to come back, I mean, I I feel pretty good about Rockingham chances. You know, the biggest thing with them, they actually have repaved the track because we know how that asphalt will wear out so quickly. Mm-hmm. So it just remains to be seen <clears throat> honestly when i look at all these these potential dates and rumors that we have for 2024 i'm actually liking what i see so far
1: oh yeah me too and i have to give nascar some credit because i think they're doing the right thing by doing the trial and error thing with the all-star race they're not using a points race they're not getting rid of tracks that we all know and love they're experimenting with the non-points million dollar race and that's i'm all for that
0: what are your thoughts on the the call of sam
1: uh, that's also run its course for me. I, I'd like to see it go somewhere else to start out the season.
0: Yeah, where are you thinking of?
1: Uh, I'd like to see Homestead.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's not really many places that are available in early February, and you're in Florida, you're gonna be going down to Daytona. So,
1: or what's the deal with Fontana? Is that getting torn down or what?
0: Yeah, honestly. I honestly, Josh, I don't think they're ever going to go back there because it sounds like the land was bought.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, Homestead then would be my choice.
0: For sure. So when I was on vacation two weeks ago and I texted you about doing this podcast, you brought up a very, very interesting topic that that we could cover tonight. And this is the next thing that we're going to dive into. You want to tell our listeners what it is?
1: Yeah, so I brought up this idea to Jake where we kind of went through the entire uh point standings field and we would decide who we thought is currently a Hall of Famer or not. And obviously you're gonna probably eliminate half the field right off the bat, but I think there's some interesting drivers to talk about as far as Hall of Fame worthiness or not.
0: All right, well let's get right into it, buddy. So I'm gonna go off of the current playoff grid. This is how we're gonna go. So Currently, William Byron is the number one seed, and all the way down in 33rd is Noah Gregson. I think, Josh, like you were saying, I think that's something that's going to have to go to some school. Right. All right. So, our number one seed right now is William Byron, three wins on the year, 17 playoff points. Me, personally, Josh, at the moment, even though he is our 2017 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, he has seven cup wins to his name. At the moment, not all material, but if he keeps on the trajectory that he is, definitely going to be a Hall of Famer one day.
1: Yep, use the exact word I was thinking of. He's on the right trajectory for sure. He's finally getting the wins. Um, obviously, driving that iconic 24 car, he's got big shoes to fill. But um, I'll go on record to say if he wins a championship, uh, regardless of win numbers, he'll definitely be a Hall of Famer.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, a cup championship, that, that's pretty much an automatic right down and there.
1: There's only a few guys on the list, like number five, for example, where I can see no championship and still worthy of the Hall of Fame.
0: Well, obviously, look at Dale Earnhardt Jr. You know, no right. cup championships, but he's in the Hall of Fame, and Denny has 23 more wins than him.
2: Right. So, yeah.
0: Honestly, these next four guys, Kyle Busch, Carson locks. Yeah, they're locks. there are locks. There's no need to go through that. Now, like you were talking about with Denny Hamlin, and number f- the fifth seed right now, that's where it gets interesting because he has 49 cup wins to his name, and he is only one behind Junior Johnson for the most cup wins by a driver without a driver's championship. And I say that because – think of it for a second. Junior Johnson, even though he never won a championship as a driver – he won six championships as a car owner, three with Cale Yarbrough and three with DW. And Denny is only in his third season as a car owner. And obviously, as we know, the talent that Tyler Reddick has and how 23XI is going to build and build and get better as time goes on, there's always that possibility of Denny winning a championship as a car owner if unfortunately the stars don't align for him as a driver.
1: Right, it's obviously going to be the biggest regret of his career when he does end up retiring, which is probably not too far away from from now. And, uh, you know, the parallels between him and Mark Martin are just, like, uncanny.
0: I would probably – this might be a bit of a hot take. I know everybody refers to Mark Martin as the greatest driver that's never won a championship, but for me personally, it's Denny.
1: He has more wins, correct?
0: Yeah, 49 compared to 40.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you, honestly. I, I I don't even think it's that much of a hot take, to be honest. I think uh, Denny's deserving of a championship. I'm not sure he'll ever get one. I feel like with this new format, it's almost kind of luck-driven a little more than talent-driven. Like, you could have a, a terrible stretch of races, make the final four, win that race, or finish highest, and you're the champ, but it's not as hard as it used to be. So, I don't know. I think uh, his best chance was a few years ago when he, when he missed out.
0: Yeah, I mean when he was paired with Chris Gabe Hart in 2019 and they went to the championship four or three years in a row, I personally felt like 2019 was the best chance and he was in a great position that night at Miami. And for whatever reason, they put way too much tape on the front grill of the car and the engine overheated.
1: That has a Buffalo Bills type feel to it. What you just said there were the three championships.
0: Yeah. Well, 2010, I think was the biggest example. He won eight races but after that eight win at Texas, the day that Jimmy's pit crew was garbage, and that was when Jeff Gordon got in the fight with Jeff Burton, and Chad went and got the 24 to, uh, crew from Steve LaTarte to pit Jimmy. Denny, I think, made his biggest mistake right then, and there in the media center saying, like, oh, yeah, we've we've got Jimmy, we've got Chad, we've got these two races left. He's like, we've got it. <laughs> Ran yeah. out of Phoenix and then spun out of Miami. And then, just like that, Jimmy Johnson wins his fifth championship in a row.
1: Well, since I don't know if we'll record another episode before this happens, do you think he wins Pocono and, and holds up this year and breaks the record?
0: Well, is Chase Elliott going to finish second?
1: <laughs> Very well, may.
0: Well, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, I feel like it will be another JGR battle for the Pocono, like you talked about. Obviously, with Kyle, now being at RCR – I could definitely see Pocono coming down to Denny and Truex. But even even with Kyle being a part of RCR, I could definitely see him being in the mix of Pocono because Tyler Reddick did finish second there last year.
1: Yeah, I agree with it. I think it's going to be a Denny Truex battle for sure.
0: And other than that, completing the top five, I mean, I hate to be bland, but it would probably be Byron and Larson.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: So the seventh or the sixth seed, excuse me, is the number 12 of Ryan Blaney. Ryan is definitely coming off the biggest win of his career with the Coca-Cola 600, but only eight wins to his name. And when Ryan won the Coca-Cola 600, Josh, this was the first time in his career that a race where he led over 100 laps, he went on to win. So Ryan Blaney, no way. Yeah,
1: I I would agree. And, you know, the one thing that Byron and Blaney have on their side that a guy like, say, Michael McDowell or Chris Buescher doesn't exactly is, you know, ages on their side. They're young guys. They have a long ways to go yet, so they could certainly get the Hall of Fame credentials even though they don't have them yet.
0: I agree. Now, his teammate, the 22 of Joey Logano, that's a a surefire lock, especially with two championships. Sure. The 45 of Tyler Reddick. Now, Tyler has four cup wins to his name. Two Xfinity championships, 2018 with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and 2019 with Richard Childress. But even with two Xfinity championships, as of right now, I feel like there, there's still more left to be done.
1: Right, and I would say that Reddick and Byron are more on a better trajectory for the Hall of Fame than Blaney is. He's he's way too big a gaps between his wins for me to say that he's even on pace right now to be a Hall of Famer.
0: And he hadn't won since Daytona, August of 2021. And that's the the thing with Ryan Blaney. And I get that, you know, a lot of times, as long as you lead that last lap, it's all that matters. But think when you think of it, Josh, eight wins to his name. And like I talked about, think of how many races he led well over a hundred laps. And then all of a sudden things don't go his way there at the end. And he fades to like seventh or eighth. Right. Yep. It's, it's unbelievable. The 20 of Christopher Bell. Christopher (laughs) is our 2017 truck series champion and has tons and tons of Xfinity wins, no championships there. But at the moment, just like Tyler Reddick, he only has four cup wins to his name.
1: Yeah, still too soon.
0: It's way too soon. But you know what, though? The the run that he went on last year, the must wins that he had at the Roval and at Martinsville, mm-hmm. to, to me personally, Josh, I feel like it's only going to be a matter of time until Christopher Bell's a cup champion. No doubt. Up next, our Daytona 500 champion, the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. That was the third win of Ricky's career. But his three cup wins, Talladega, Daytona, Daytona, and along with that, his two Nationwide Series championships in 2011 and 2012. I don't feel like he's Hall of Fame material.
1: No, I was going to say maybe restrictor plate Hall of Fame, but definitely not NASCAR Hall of Fame. I
0: agree. And up next, a guy that we love, but like you said at Dover, a guy that very quickly could be landing on our shit list the way that that he was driving at the beginning of the year, and that is the number one of Ross Chastain. Incredible story, but at the moment, only two wins to his name, second in the 2022 Cup Championship to Joey Logano, second in the Truck Championship in 2019 to Matt Craft, and he's not a Hall of Famer yet.
1: He's on the trajectory to be in the Hall of Fame of wrecking as many and pissing off as many guys as he can. (laughs) He's he's in that Hall of Fame contention.
0: (laughs) Now, up next, Kevin Harvick, slam dunk. Sure. Yeah, there's nothing to talk about there. The 17 of Chris Buescher. So Chris has the two cup wins to his name, Pocono and Bristol, in the 2015 Xfinity Series Championship, but obviously still way more left to be done. Right. Now, his car owner, the number six of Brad Keselowski, our boy, 2012 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series champion, 2010 NASCAR Nationwide Series champion. He has 35 wins in the NASCAR Cup Series, every crown jewel, with the exception of the Daytona 500, 39 wins in the Xfinity Series. And he and his father, Bob, they are the only father-son duo that have ever won in the truck series. So Brad Keselowski, definitely a Hall of Famer.
1: Yeah, and how old is he?
0: 39.
1: All right, so let's say he races another six years driving that six car. When you look back on his career, I know they don't wear hats going into the Hall of Fame, but do you see him more as a Blue Deuce Miller Lite guy or a six Kings Hawaiian Kohler, that sort of thing kind of guy?
0: Blue Deuce. I mean, that's where he won his championship. Me too. I agree. Even if he
1: won a championship with the six, I would still be a Miller Lite guy with him.
0: That would be amazing. (laughs) It would be. Up next is the 23 of Bubba Wallace. He has two Cup Series wins to his name, Talladega and Kansas, this past fall, along with six Truck Series wins to his name. Obviously, without a doubt, Josh, the most successful African-American driver that there's ever been in the history of NASCAR. And I feel like he he's done a remarkable job being, being an advocate, as he has for so many things going on, whether it's civil rights or whatnot, but at the moment... Um, I wouldn't say Hall of Famer just yet.
1: No, not at all. But going back to Brad real quick, has the six car ever won a championship? No. Okay, no. so he's got that curse to break.
0: Here's the thing with Mark Martin. You want to talk about Buffalo Bills. But Mark Martin finished second in the championship five times. Now, obviously four of them were when he was in the six car and the other one was when he drove the five car at 50 years old. All right. Now, Josh – here are the guys that Mark Martin finished second in the championship to. Dale Earnhardt in 1990 and 1994. Jeff Gordon in 1998. Tony Stewart in 2002. And Jimmy Johnson in 2009.
1: All Hall of Famers.
0: All Hall of Famers, man. And the the frustrating thing, and coming from an Earnhardt fan, the frustrating thing about 1990 was when he won the second race of the year at Richmond. He beat Dale Earnhardt. And after the race was over and they were tearing the car down, Richard Childress came walking by with an official, and he pointed under the hood and he he was like, it's right there. And they found an illegal intake manifold on the car. Oh, man. They penalized Mark 46 points because that was the difference between first and last car in the lead lap. He lost that championship to Dale by 26 points. Yikes. Yeah, that that has to sting. And when Steve Mill was on the Dale Jr. download back in February, they they talked at length about I mean really how mixed emotions that was for for Steve losing that championship and then for Dale Jr. seeing his father win the championship in such a controversial fashion like that. No doubt. While we're on the subject, Dale Earnhardt Jr. <laughs> I'm sure this <laughs> is the one you've been waiting for. <laughs> oh yeah. The 48 of Alex Bowman. Seven (laughs) NASCAR Cup Series wins to his name and a NASCAR Xfinity Series wins to his name at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Josh, I'm just saying it, not a Hall of Famer.
1: Not a Hall of Famer, and honestly, Jake, looking at the list, there's only one other guy on this list that's even Hall of Fame worthy right now, so
0: Mm. we
1: could probably save our listeners a ton of time and jump right to
0: that one. Yeah. Well... Well, obviously, I would have to say Chase Elliott, definitely a Hall of Famer. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like looking at this list, Ty Gibbs, definitely what? Hall of Fame potential.
1: Oh, no doubt. I, mean, I, I made the prediction that when he came up to Cup, he was going to be the next Kyle Busch. But so far, I mean, it's only one season. But yeah. I thought between the Cup experience he already had filling up the Kurt Busch and the talent he showed in Xfinity, I, I'll be shocked if he goes winless this year still.
0: Yeah. I feel like he's definitely going to get better as time goes on, but Mm -hmm. impossible. And that's the thing. You say the next Kyle Bush, and he's the guy that took over Kyle Bush's car.
1: Right. Looks just like it with the interstate battery scheme.
0: It does. And like we talked about before, honestly, probably a smart move changing it from the 18 to the 54. It's a good Mm -hmm. guy to establish his own brand and his own identity. And also on a personal note, when his father, Coy, when he ran in the NASCAR Busch Series back in the day, eighteen was his number. So, pro- probably a good move to put it on the shelf for a little bit.
1: Oh, no doubt. And you know, he's certainly racing with a heavy heart this year, losing his dad right after the championship last year. So, you can't discount that emotional roller coaster that he's going on.
0: Well, and, and no, there's honestly no one better that could help guide him during such a, a very tough period in his life than Dale Earnhardt Jr. And right. Dale Jr. even even said it when he recorded the podcast just a few days after Coy passed away. You know, he even said right then and there, he's like, he's like, if I needs me at any time, he's he's always welcome to call me. So,
1: right, and that whole Gibbs family seems super spiritual and religious too. So I think he's in good hands.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest thing with Joe. I mean, he's always been a man of strong faith, obviously with J.D. and Coy, and me personally, I feel like that faith even at 82 years old. That's what keeps him going.
1: Oh, no doubt. He looks good for 82.
0: Sure does. He's going to be 83 in November. And I even heard that, um, he's still going to be involved with the Washington commanders from time to time, obviously with, with Josh Harris, the, the two of them sort of intertwined together now.
2: Right. That's
0: cool. Absolutely. So the moment we have all been waiting for Josh now, when I started doing this podcast in 2020, and we were reached the halfway point in the season when there would be, a, be an off week, I would like to go through all the drivers, and I would do it numerically. So we're going to start off with the number one of Ross Chastain, and we're going to conclude with the number the that of that's that's And okay. yeah, th- this, this is always fun. This is one of my favorite podcasts to do, and it's, it's even more fun having, having you do it with me, man. So, you're used to handing out grades, you know? I am. <laughs> so, I'm going to be very curious here, what kind of grades you're going to be handing out. I mean, it's it's pretty much, I feel like a few of them are unanimous on, on our half. Yeah. So, we're going to start off with none other than the most interesting man in NASCAR, I guess you could say. And to me, it seems like John and Glow's boy as well. <laughs> huh is the number one of Ross Chastain. He is currently fourth in points with 501 points, 16 starts on the year, a best start of third at Kansas, a best finish of second at Dover to Martin Trex Jr. Five top fives on the year, seven top tens, 348 laps led, and his lone DNF was at Darlington. Now, Josh, before we give a grade here, I want to talk about that that Darlington incident with Kyle Larson when the two of them... You know, obviously, neither of them were going to lift coming out of that corner that late in the race. And Hendrick, when he was in the media center after William Byron won, the stern comments that he had basically saying that he was not going to put up with any more of Ross's BS and that he didn't want any of his drivers putting up with Ross's BS. And Justin Marks had a talk with Ross afterwards. And after that talk, man, he was non-existent at the All-Star Race the 600 gateway, he got that top 10 at Sonoma a 10th, and it was through pit strategy. Do you feel like in some ways that Justin Marks might have pulled the reins back on Ross?
1: It's definitely possible. I just don't think his career was sustainable the way he was attacking no. drivers week in and week out, driving recklessly and you know taking contenders out of races. That wasn't going to hold up very long, so I think he needed to be Rained in a little bit and you know, eventually maybe it will just lead to a different style of driving for him that's more that's maybe not as effective, but definitely more conducive to a long career.
0: I agree. I mean, how many times over the past season and a half you and I, we text each other through these races, we get together for for a few of them here and there. How many times are we watching a race together or texting and we're like, what is this, like seven races in a row that Ross has run over someone?
1: Yeah, it seemed like every week for a while there.
0: Yeah, and even, you know, he had the incident with Michael McDowell at Gateway, but that just looked like an honest mistake when he hit the curb going down in a turn one and bounced up into him. Right. So with Ross, the the biggest thing with him, he's definitely toned down the aggression. But at the same time, you even said it before the season began, you know, we talk about the second place hangover. He's having a good year, but not a great year. And and me. If I had to grade him, man, I'd probably give him about an A-. Wow,
1: you're a lot more bullish than I am.
0: <laughs> Let's hear it.
1: Well, just because of the fact that, you know, he doesn't have any wins yet, he's certainly playoff contending in points, but I, I don't feel like he's Final Four potential like he was last yeah. year. Um, I'm going to go with a C plus.
0: Yeah, that's...
1: And, it's it's just a combination of things. The lack of wins, I know he's led a few laps here and there, but yeah. you know, wrecking guys still Black. having the aggressiveness taken away from him by his car owner. Yeah. All those things combined into one, I think, are gonna lead to him not making the final four, and for that reason I have to go C
0: And that was my championship pick at the beginning of the year.
1: Oh, it's not looking too good.
0: Oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> Up next is the two of Austin Sendrick. Dude, oh, talk about a sophomore slump. Mm. 21st in points, 292 points, 16 starts on the year. He started second at Atlanta behind his teammate Joey Logano. His only two top tens on the year a pair of sixth place finishes at Las Vegas and Oda. And Las Vegas, Jeremy Bollins had him stay out under the last caution. Seven laps led on the year, two DNFs. Dude, He's a road course ace and he was passed by Josh Balicki at Sonoma. This isn't this isn't sour grapes or anything. I'm giving Austin Cinderick an ass.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you, Jake. And I was gonna say there's people in our circles that like to say, you know, the two cars never look so good. I'd <laughs> go out on a limb and say the two cars never look so bad as it has this year.
0: Dude, this is the worst I've ever seen the two car ever since the beginning.
1: Yeah. And that's no joke. That's the honest-to-God truth. So I would agree with you. NF is the proper grade there.
0: And the unfortunate thing with all this, Josh, is at some point or another, with how bad he is running and with how bad Harrison Burton is running, because let's face it, even though it's the Wood Brothers, it's a fourth Penske car. I I told you a couple weeks ago, it would not shock me one bit if Roger Penske moves Jeremy Bollins to the twenty-one and Brian Wilson to the two because Brian was Austin's crew chief when he won the Xfinity Championship in 2020. They're they're both terrible this year. And ultimately, I feel like Jeremy Bollins is going to be the fall guy for it.
1: Yeah, try shaking it up and getting that mojo back like they did with Briscoe, like we talked earlier.
0: Yeah. From one Austin to another.
1: (laughs) Similar grades.
0: Yeah, the three of Austin Dillon. 28th in points, 223 points on the year, penalized 60 points after Martinsville. I think it was like some sort of sway bar issue or whatever. His best weekend was the Bristol dirt race where he started second and finished third. That's his only top five on the year, four top tens, three laps led. It was during a sequence of green flag pit stops, five DNFs on the year. Josh, when your teammate is Kyle, effing Bush when you were the guy that convinced your grandfather to bring him over to Richard Childress racing. And he has three wins on the year. I got to give Austin Dillon enough as well.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go the same. And honestly, I'm beginning more and more to wonder how a guy with his talent is driving such an iconic car.
0: His grandfather.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I know that's the answer, but I just sit there and I think to myself, there's so many more deserving drivers out there to drive that number. Not that anybody should drive it, but there's so many more deserving drivers that are more talented, and yet week in and week out, we're watching that three-car bringing up the rear or getting towed off on a wrecker.
0: While Kyle Busch was contending for the win. Right. Well, even, even Tyler Reddick last year. I mean, Tyler won three races and led tens of laps, and think of how many races he and Randall could have won last year if things would have gone their way. Yep. Up next the guy that we've talked about a lot and the guy that I am going to miss a lot come November at Phoenix, the number four of Kevin Harvick fifth in points, 500 points, 16 starts. He started second at the Coca-Cola 600 when qualifying was rained out. He finished second to William Byron at Darlington four top fives, seven top tens, 98 laps led one DNF on the year when he wrecked at Atlanta. Doc, how would you grade Kevin Harvick's final season?
1: Um, I think I would give Kevin's season probably so far a B. Yeah. I think he's having a good season, but um, you know, Michigan will maybe be his only chance to get a win here before the playoffs start. So I'm hoping for his sake that happens and he can go out on top, but at least make the playoffs. I don't mean win the championship because I don't think that's gonna happen, but Um, like we said earlier, you know, Stuart Haas has just been a shell of itself these last two years. So for him to be in the position he's in, it speaks volumes about his talent.
0: It sure does. I mean, he truly is carrying that organization on his back. And if not for Harrison Burton spinning out at Phoenix, he, he would have had his 10th win at Phoenix. Right. But that's the thing, like you talk about, I don't think he's championship for material either. I would definitely have to give a B on the year, but, picture if he were to go to Phoenix, the last day of his career, his best racetrack, I would love to see him mix it up and park that car in victory lane, especially if he's going to have, say, a GM Goodwrench throwback on it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And honestly, uh, a B for the season, but an A-plus for his career, considering the circumstances that he took that car over with and what he's done with it, winning a championship and being as iconic as it's been, to me, that's uh, an A-plus career even though it's a B season.
0: I've I've said it on some many podcasts before, and I'll say it again. Top 10 all-time driver.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Up next is a guy that could potentially be a top 10 driver of all time when it's all said and done. That's the number five of Kyle Larson, our 2021 champion. Tenth in points, 440 points on the year. Two poles, Phoenix and the Bristol Dirt Race. Two wins on the year, Richmond and Martinsville. Six top fives, seven top tens, five hundred and eighty-eight laps led on the year. But the most glaring stat of all, Josh—I mean, we've we've gone through the whole Louver controversy with Hendrick, the greenhouse controversy. Kyle Larson has five DNFs on the year.
1: Yeah, and as Steve Letart brought up on the broadcast earlier, it's his season's been the true definition of checkers or wreckers. I mean, he's got a thirty-third, and then a first, and then a second, and a thirtieth. So it's all over the
0: place. And even though he and Cliff Daniels, they have the speed, and they're definitely championship forward worthy as they won the championship two years ago, those kind of numbers are not going to get you far in the playoffs.
1: No, they're not. And if you look at these stats compared to any other driver, like if you give his stats to, let's say, a Ryan Blaney or a, a Michael McDowell, Chris Busher, that's oh, probably an a, an a season. But to yeah. Kyle Larson standards, we're probably not going to give him an A.
0: No, it's definitely in the B category.
1: Yeah, I'd probably go B- for that one.
0: Honestly, the five DNFs, that's just – it's so glaring to me.
1: I will say, however, I think they'll get it together for the playoffs and still be in the championship four.
0: Oh, well, you know he's going to smoke them at Homestead.
1: Oh, yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if he does it at Pocono, too.
0: Honestly, I mean, well, I'd rather not talk about 2021, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, as as much crap as I give Alex – That was by far the luckiest win of his career. Yeah. I mean, what are the odds that the frickin' tire blows right at the very last corner as Kyle, one corner away from his fourth win in a row?
1: Yeah, that was crazy.
0: I think you you ended up leaving that day, didn't you?
1: I did. We left Saturday. Yeah. After the race.
0: I should have joined you. (laughs) 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 All right. The moment you and I have been waiting for. The number six of Brad Keselowski. Car owner as well, too. Yep. 12th in points, 424 points, 16 starts on the year. His best start was third at the Coca-Cola 600, like we talked about with Kevin when qualifying was rained out. And his best finish was second at Atlanta Motor Speedway, which absolutely ripped my heart out that last lap, dude. Right. Oh, dude. Half a lap half a lap away from ending a 60-some winless streak and your old teammate outsmarts you. Plain and simple. I mean, yep. I I hate to say it, but Joey did what he had to do there. You know, he had to help with, with Christopher Bell on the top. And, I mean, you know, Brad was trying to do everything he could there on the bottom. I know that, you know, Corey was trying to help him out as best he could, but yeah, smart him. And that's the thing, man, like, when I go back and I look at that last lap at Atlanta, I get that Brad's in a forward and Joey's in a forward and everything. But honestly, that last lap, of, if I were him, I wouldn't have given two shits about Joey. I would have been, you know, that same line with, with Bell and, and Reddick and all them, you know, I'd be looking out for myself. But, oh, yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, it. it just kills me, man. It kills me. So, three top fives on the year. The other two were a fifth at Talladega and a fourth at Darlington. Six top tens on the year, 115 laps led, two DNFs swept up on the last lap of the Daytona 500, and they broke an axle at Circuit of the Americas. The biggest thing with Brad Keselowski, Josh, they have turned the corner. They are years and years, I mean, they're miles ahead of where they were in 2022. But, this past month or so, when he finished fourth at Darlington on Mother's Day, I, I remember texting you that night, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, they're they're definitely heading in the right direction. 19th at North Wilkesboro and the Coca-Cola 600. Drop a cylinder at Gateway 28th. And then at Sonoma, they finished 16th with a car that wasn't even top 20 worthy the entire weekend. Right. I mean, the run that he was on in, say, about, you know, March, April, May. At that moment, I was sort of thinking like maybe A minus or so. But honestly, man, the run that they've been on lately, it's sort of, I'd probably have to say about maybe B minus.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking too. B minus. I can't give him a higher grade than Larson because Larson's got the wins. But yeah, B minus for Brad sounds good, especially considering how they were last year.
0: Yeah. And he already has as many. Top tens as they did all last year with six. He already right. had more top fives than he did all last year. Granted, he only had one. But my biggest concern, Josh, is he's fourteenth on the playoff grid.
1: Yeah, one bad race and you're out of there.
0: They they have to win, and like we've said, you know, they get a top five one week. They fin- they barely finish in the top twenty the next week. You want to know the his streak, his longest streak of top ten finishes is this year.
1: What
0: is it? Two. Oh, God. Talladega and Dover. Wow. That's the only time this year he's had back-to-back top tens.
1: Got to do better than that.
0: Now, Nashville, you know, last year he had a top ten car when Denny Hamlin plowed Cole Custer into him on that restart. But we're going to Chicago, and we know how terrible he is on road courses. Right. Um, he's got a great stretch after that. Atlanta, New Hampshire, Pocono. Richmond, Michigan. He has to win one of these races. Otherwise, he could potentially be in jeopardy.
1: Yeah, he's got to either get a win or reel off some top tens here in a row.
0: Has to. So up next is another one of our favorites, the number seven of Corey LaJoy. 22nd and 291 starts. He did drive Chase Elliott's nine car at Gateway. Best start on the year 12th at Daytona in California. Best finish fourth at Atlanta, which is also a career best. But at the same time, Josh, that's his only top 10 finish of the year. Seven laps led. That was when he stayed out under caution at Kansas. But I think the the biggest stat of all with Corey LaJoy, zero DNFs on the year. Right. So, yeah, I know you're a big fan of him, man. I want to get your thoughts on Corey's season
1: yeah i am a big fan i think he's deserving of a better car than what he's driving now but he's doing the best he can with what he's got and for that reason i'd give him a c plus
0: same for me
1: he's a talented driver it's just i think the equipment's holding him back clearly
0: yeah aspire has definitely made huge leaps and bounds compared to last year but i mean let's face it it's it's a satellite hendrick team Right. Yeah. There's only so much that you could do. And like we talked about throughout the weekend at Gateway, I feel like he almost put too much pressure on himself driving Chase's car.
1: Oh, yeah. No doubt.
0: Because Carson Hosevar was kicking his ass on his own car. He was just about to crack <laughs> the top 15 when the brake rotor blew. Right. Up next is the number eight of Kyle Bush, sixth in points, 496 points, 16 starts on the year, pole winner at Gateway. Three wins on the year, Fontana, Talladega, and Gateway. Five top fives, nine top tens, 214 laps led on the year, three DNFs. You know, and you look at Fontana, old worn-out racetrack, Talladega, survival, but Gateway, man, Gateway showed to me, in my opinion, Josh, that Kyle Busch, Randall Burnett, the eight team at RCR, I feel like they're they're championship form material. And honestly – I would have to give Kyle an A for what he's doing in the team.
1: Yeah, I agree. A A plus for me on that. And uh definitely a championship contender for sure. He's exceeded my expectations already just halfway through the season.
0: I had a I had a good feeling about him before the season began. Just with how well Tyler did with that team last year and Kyle Bishop right. pointed me one bet.
1: Yeah, I remember you saying you were pretty bullish on him in the beginning, and I was a little skeptical. But I'm definitely coming around to it.
0: All the way back in January, I said before. Right. <laughs> Up next. That one's looking good. Yeah. Up next, you could probably make the argument, Josh, at least from you know a top-notch standpoint. Probably, maybe the most disappointing driver of the year in some shape or form, somewhat. But that's Chase Elliott.
1: Yeah, I, I would go there with you, except for the injury. That's the one thing that's given me pause about calling it a disappointment because he's, even once he came back, he was still contending, not necessarily for wins, but for decent finishes. So I, I'm going to give him a pass. But I, I do expect him to heat up this summer now, though.
0: I do too. But I will say Charlotte, and like you were saying as well, Charlotte was just absolutely unacceptable what he did there. Right, no doubt. So, as we talked about, he's missed seven races on the year, the broken leg and the suspension that he definitely deserved after the Coca-Cola 600. He's 27th in points, 247 points. He did finish second to Kyle Busch at Fontana just days before he broke his leg. Three top fives, five top tens, 37 laps led on the year, two DNFs. He is the defending winner of Sunday night's race in Nashville. And honestly, Josh, probably someone, maybe... That could win the Chicago street course next Sunday. Oh, yeah. And punches ticking into the playoffs. I mean, I'm sure it's kind of hard to say when you miss seven races like that. I mean, you'd probably have to say incomplete.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was going to give him as an incomplete because, like I said, I, I do think he's going to heat up here and maybe make the playoffs getting a win, but it's going to be tough.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like we talked about with Brad, that's someone that I, I truly worry about as far as him making the playoffs This Chase, because there's so many tracks that he's capable of winning at, whether it's Nashville, Chicago, Atlanta, New Hampshire, Pocono, you know, ho- hopefully it won't have to be as much of a, of a gift as last year was. So yeah, he's definitely going to have a good stretch to finish out the regular season.
1: Well, I would venture to guess that it's coming from somebody that has broken a leg before. He's probably getting close to 100% right around now or a couple of weeks from now. So right. if he doesn't win a race between now and, and the playoffs, I'd I'd say it's definitely a disappointment.
0: So he broke his leg March 3rd, and it's June 23rd.
1: Yeah, so almost four months.
0: Yeah. Now, if you don't mind me asking, Josh, what was the, the timeline for you?
1: Uh. I would say it was probably two and a half, three months before I was back to normal. I mean, not not even normal, actually, just like being able to do basic things like walk and maybe like a slow jog. Yeah. So, he I think he had a much more severe fracture than I had. I didn't have to have surgery or anything. So,
0: yeah, Chase had a three-hour surgery.
1: Yeah, so he's he may not be normal again this year, but at least he gets to sit down and drive a race car instead of run around and do something else.
0: Yeah. Up next is the number 10 of your buddy, Eric Almarola.
1: <laughs> oh, This is an easy one for me.
0: Same for me. So, are you ready for these numbers, dude?
1: Yeah, abysmal.
0: 26 points, 260 points, 16 starts. He qualified second behind Denny Hamlin at Talladega. His best finish was 6th at Martinsville when he stayed out under the last caution. That's his only top 10 finish of 2023. Good job, Eric. Not counting the Xfinity win at Sonoma. His 44 laps led on the year. Daytona, Atlanta, and Talladega. Three DNFs. Eric Amarola, you get an F.
1: Yeah, and honestly, if it wasn't for Kevin Harvick, SHR as a whole wouldn't be getting enough because their performance has been just so underwhelming. Abysmal. Yep.
0: Up next is the number 11 of Denny Hamlin, eighth in points with 462 points, 16 starts on the year. His two poles are Talladega and Sonoma. He won at Kansas Speedway, that epic battle on the last lap with Kyle Larson. Firstly, Josh, I got to say, Kansas is probably my favorite so far um four top fives six top ten, two hundred and fifty five 255 laps led on the year two dnfs denny mm. it, it's hard to say because he's hot and cold hot and cold every time you feel like he's just about ready to go off on a tear something happens right so i i don't feel like they're in the a category but i would Mm-mm. Probably have to say like at least the B plus with, with the speed they've been showing lately. Yeah, I was
1: thinking I was thinking uh, a B minus because even though they do have the win, the two DNFs haven't yeah. led a ton of laps really. No. Yeah. So I'm gonna go to B minus.
0: And the the DNF at Sonoma was probably one of the more stranger DNFs. How he was just running along and clipped the inside wall.
1: Right. Yeah, that was a rookie mistake he made there.
0: Up next is the number 12 of Ryan Blaney, third in points with 501 points, 16 starts on the year, started second at Gateway. He did win the Coca-Cola 600, four top fives, nine top tens, 319 laps led on the year. And the great thing about Ryan Blaney's season so far, zero DNFs. Right. And Ryan – go ahead, Josh.
1: I was just going to say I'd probably go B-plus for Blaney.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's – when you have your teammate, Joey Logano, who won the championship last year, and I mean, really think about that for a second too, how he's easily the second-best driver at Penske. Joey obviously is in a class of his own. Ryan and then Austin Cindric is definitely third out of three.
2: There's no other way.
0: I can't imagine how much that – how how – his confidence was shot last year, when you're the only Penske driver to go winless. When you're trying to pass your teammates to win the Daytona 500, and what happened happened. I mean, you could definitely tell until he won the 600 that Ryan Blaney was definitely lacking confidence.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I personally don't think he's done winning this year. I think he's going to get a couple more.
0: Dale Jr. was saying the same thing. As a matter of fact, the crazy thing is dale jr at the very beginning of the season that was actually his pick to win the championship
1: that wouldn't surprise me
0: yeah i i mean i thought it was i thought it was a little a little premature at the beginning of the year but now i mean he finished third at nashville last year he's he's good on road courses he had a shot to win atlanta we've seen him win at pocono before so i think Ryan is definitely going to heat up during the summer months I mean, really, the only track that I think is going to be a detriment to him is Richmond. Right. Which always has been. Yeah. Up next is number 14, Chase Briscoe. 31st in points. 183 points. Penalized 125 after the Coca-Cola 600. 16 starts. Best start of fourth in Martinsville and Talladega. His best finish was fourth at Talladega. Three top fives. Four top tens. 115 laps led on the year. And one DNF. I like Chase Briscoe, but let's face it, man, it has been a complete disaster. I have to give him an F, and even as excited as I am for him to be reunited with Richard Boswell, it's definitely going to take a while before they find their mojo again.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to take the penalty out of the equation because that's definitely not his fault, so I'm (laughs) going to give him a, a D. But it has not been an ideal season by any stretch of the imagination.
0: For a guy that came within 20 some laps of making it to the final four last year. Right. Yeah. But yeah, definitely not his fault. And I honestly, like we like we're gonna talk about here with the other Stuart hoscar with Ryan Priest, I now that I think of it, I definitely have to lean more in the direction of a D when it comes to Chase Briscoe. Yeah. Our next guy. Now this is an interesting thing that I want to talk about, Josh is the 16 of A.J. Almendinger? I read a rumor a couple weeks ago that A.J. Almendinger, even after one season in the Cup Series, that he already could be heading back down to Xfinity in
2: 2024.
0: Wow. And it's interesting because, you know, A.J., you know, he left the Cup Series in 2018 because he wasn't happy. He went to Xfinity, had a <laughs> won tons of races, almost won the championship in 2021. To me, it almost feels like, it almost felt like he was more happy racing in Xfinity than he is in the cup.
1: Was there any rumors on who would replace him?
0: I haven't heard anything. Honestly, if there is, you know, if he does go back to Xfinity, you know who I would put in that 16 car, if I'm Matt colleague,
2: Emmerich,
0: Austin Hill. Yeah. I feel like he's definitely ready for the Cup Series.
1: Yeah, I just saw he's going to be driving some more Cup races, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he's going to do Atlanta in the 62 Beard car. And I think they're going to do a majority of the plate races. And I know he did run Michigan last year. That was his Cup debut. And he ran solidly in the top 20 that day.
1: I'd love to see LaJoy in that 16 car.
0: Oh, me too. So, AJ, 20th in points, 298 points. 16 starts his best start and finish came at Sonoma he finished sixth he did finish sixth in the Daytona 500 as well but those are his only top 10 finishes on the year one lap led and three DNFs Josh it's
1: got to be enough
0: it has to be enough because I mean I didn't expect AJ to make the playoffs I mean obviously you think of all the road courses that give him a chance to make it but I didn't think he was going to be this bad
2: no, me neither.
0: And it's weird because when he ran part-time in that car the last two years, he won Indy. He got tons and tons of top fives at at all the road courses, even top tens on some of the ovals. So I'm definitely puzzled with the way that AJ's run this year. Same. Our boy, the number 17 of Chris Busher, 11th in points, 430 points. Best start on the year, fifth at Fontana and Dover. He finished third at Talladega. Three top fives, seven top tens, 50 laps led on the year. His only DNF was at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So if we gave Brad a B-, minus, Chris Buescher is definitely going to be in the B category, Josh.
1: <clears throat> I would agree. Yeah. I hate to give him a higher grade than Larson, but I go back to how last year looked and the expectations.
0: I agree on that. And... I.
1: I I can't give him the same grade as Brad because he's higher in points and mm-hmm. he's led more laps, right?
0: Actually, Brad Brad's led more laps on the year, 115 compared to... 70. Oh,
1: that's right. He has. Okay.
0: But the thing with Brad yeah. is the majority of those laps were the Daytona 500 and Atlanta. Right. So, I mean, other than that, like, I'm trying to think, like, a lot of them were, you know, how he likes to stay out in the Green Flag Pet Stops, you think of like Montana, Richmond, Dover, places like that.
1: Um, yeah, I think a B is a good grade for pusher. Yeah.
0: Sure. This next one is going to be easy. <laughs> Our points leader, the number 19 of Martin Trex Jr., 525 points. He won the poll at Darlington. Our most recent winner at Sonoma, he also won at his home track of Dover. Five top fives, eight top tens, 434 laps led on the year his lone dnf was at darlington when he had the car to beat early on josh it's safe to say not only does martin trex jr get an a plus but he truly is back
1: yeah we talked about it the other day about the breakup with sherry that probably resurrected his career to be completely honest
0: yeah it's and i mean it's it's sad. And obviously we hope and pray that, you know, Sherry's doing well. I mean, I can't imagine having three bouts of ovarian cancer. Right. You could definitely tell last year in 2022, Martin. And ironically, this was the day last year that he announced he was coming back for 2023. But that first half of 2022, Martin just looked and sounded like somebody that was ready to retire. He did. Yeah. And, Right off the bat, he wins the Bush Clash. And you sort of saw right then and there that they were back to their old self. And honestly, man, it's safe to say that he's definitely championship form material. And it wouldn't even shock me if he becomes a two-time champion in November. I mean, we still got to go, but they're looking like their old self right now.
1: Yeah, and we've said this for a couple guys so far, but I think this is more true for Martin than anybody, as he's definitely not done winning yet.
0: Oh, no. Far from it. Well... I'm gonna say right here that, well, we got his teammate up next with Christopher Bell, but it's safe to say when we go to New Hampshire in a couple of weeks, that's definitely gonna come down to those two.
1: Right. I think even Nashville, the way the Toyotas look in practice, they're gonna be tough to beat.
0: Well, um, I'm sort of if I were to drop any hints as to who I'm picking for Sunday night, there you go. <laughs> Up next is Martin's teammate, the 20 of Christopher Bell, 7th in points, 493 points on the year. He did start first at Fontana, but qualifying was canceled because of snow, whoever pictured that. <laughs> he did win what seems like will be the final Bristol Dirt Race, 5 top 5s on the year, 9 top 10s, 209 laps led, 3 DNFs though. With Christopher, this was the team that made the championship for last year. <sighs> if this was a I'm sort of I'm sort of in between Say maybe an A minus and a B plus Josh Yeah I
1: was thinking B plus myself The DNFs kind of lowers it a notch for me
0: Yeah same for me man But I'm telling you when they get to New Hampshire In a couple of weeks The fact that he tested up there Dude he's it's going to look like Jeff Burton in 2000 At New Hampshire I'm telling you
2: <laughs> Right
0: I mean his record there is unreal He won the cup race there last year he has three Xfinity wins there. He's won in the truck. I think out of all of his starts there across all top three series, I think he's finished out of the top three once there, and that was his wow. first. That's impressive. It's incredible. This is an easy one. The 21 of Harrison Burton. He's 29th in points, 219 points. His best start was 13th at the Coke 600. His best finish was 6th at Darlington thanks to all the wrecks there at the end. That's his only top 10 on the year, 20 laps led, and two DNFs. For a guy that could be taking over the 10 car next year, that is an easy F. Yep. Well, I guess it pays off having a last name like that, man. I I don't get... I have nothing against Harrison, but I don't get how he's being touted for... I mean, Stuart Haas is in decline but a premier ride like the 10 car.
1: Right. And we've seen that 21 car in victory lane more recently than not. So we know it could it could be a race winning car.
0: Well, even, even Matt, De Benedetto was doing good in that car. I mean, he, right. in both Las Vegas races in 2020, he caught fire towards the end of 2021 with Jonathan Hassler, but he, he knew he was a lame duck right then and there. But the good thing with, with Matt this year in the truck series, even though he won Talladega last year, it looks like Matt has – and that 25 team, it seems like they're starting to have a bit of a breakout season.
1: Now, did Amarola sign a two-year deal with Stuart Haas or is it just a one-year deal?
0: He signed a two-year deal, but there is some talk that he he might forego that, that 2024 season. He could retire. Honestly, Josh, like I was saying, I have nothing against Eric Amarola as a person. But if I'm him, just retire already.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: I mean, you've – You've won three cup races. You've won in all three levels in NASCAR. It, I will admit it was impressive, him winning the Xfinity race at Sonoma. But it's time, man.
1: So if that does come to fruition and Harrison gets the 10, who do you see taking over the 21 car?
0: Zane Smith. Yeah? Yeah, I, I read a rumor a couple weeks ago that Zane is one of the possibilities for the 21 car should Harrison Burton go somewhere else. But there's also some talk that, you know, Harrison could be back in the 21. So it remains to be seen. But me personally, I'm thrilled with with Josh getting the four car. I would love to see Zane Smith get the 10 car.
1: Yeah, that'd be a pretty young stout team if they go that route.
0: It sure would. Up next is our defending champion, the 22 of Joey Logano, ninth in points, 444 points. His two polls on the year were Las Vegas and Atlanta. He did beat his former teammate, Brad Keselowski, for the win at Atlanta. Five top fives, eight top tens, 217 laps led on the year, three DNFs. Dale Earnhardt Jr. said it on his podcast yesterday. Joey Logano, just like last year, they're having such a confusing season, Josh.
1: Yep, he's just sitting there lying in the weeds, waiting until the playoffs roll around. He's going to turn it on, as he always does.
0: Just like last year. And yep. even though he's the defending champion, even though he won Atlanta. I mean, this slump that they've been—it's been an ugly slump. You sort of have to go in the direction of a B, honestly.
1: Yeah, I think that's about right.
0: Yeah, I can't, I can't give him the same grade as Brad because I mean, Brad's season—it seems like it's sort of going in that direction right now.
1: Right. Yeah, the lack of laps led in the DNFs are definitely a a B for sure.
0: And let's face it, for Joey, 217 laps led on the year. About 140 of those were the win at at Atlanta.
1: Right, and that win doesn't really hold a whole lot of merit for me.
0: No. Up next is the 23 of Bubba Wallace, 15th in points, 354 points on the year. His best start was second at Darlington. He has a trio of fourth-place finishes on the year. Las Vegas, Kansas, and the Coca Cola 600. Four top fives on the year. His only other top five was a fifth place finish at Darlington. Five top tens, a ninth at Martinsville. Fifty three laps led year, but the glaring stat that I talk about, Josh, five DNFs.
1: Yeah, he definitely can't have that. I'm going to go with a C minus for Bubba.
0: Yeah, it's. I'm sort of in. I'm sort of in that same direction as well. Sorry, Kelly, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing with, with Bubba is, like we talked about before, this is a team. They have the speed. They have the potential. They have the potential, honestly, to be a B team. They really do. But it's the mistakes. It's the mistakes on Pit Road. It's the mistake, the last lap of Talladega. I get that you're leading and you're trying to win the race and whatnot, but Ryan Blaney was coming like a freight train on that outside, man. That was – a lot of the DNFs I know are not of his own doing, but that one at Talladega, that was pretty boneheaded.
1: Right. And I'll say, regardless of what Chase does, if Bubba misses the playoffs, he gets the award for most disappointing driver for sure.
0: He has to. I mean, especially when Tyler Reddick – that was your pick to win the championship at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And Tyler was fastest in practice at Nashville by a full tenth over over Truex. Right. So, I feel like – well, Nashville – was sort of the turning point for bubble last year. He had a top five car and the pit crew was awful once again. And that prompted them to finally make changes on the pit crew, but they definitely have to make the playoffs. And I feel like, you know, he's got a good stretch coming up. When you look at say Atlanta, New Hampshire, um, you know, Michigan, of course, you think of the battle that he and Kevin Harvick had last year and Daytona, of course, they definitely have to get to victory lane. I feel like this team, they have, they definitely have the potential. They could definitely be a B team, but they, they've, they've got to stop the bleeding at some point. Yeah, I agree. And the biggest thing with Bubba is the road courses. The road courses are definitely his his Achilles heel. That's for sure. Up next is Sean Rozanski's boy, the twenty four of William Byron. Woo! Now, William is second in points with 512 points, but Josh, he was penalized 60 points after Richmond because of the greenhouse infraction. So realistically, if not for those 60 points at Richmond, William Byron is running away with the regular season championship right now.
2: Right.
0: He has two poles on the year, Coda and Kansas, and three wins on the year. So this is already a career year for William Byron. Las Vegas, Phoenix, and Darlington, seven top fives on the year, nine top tens, 717 laps led on the year. His two DNFs were the first two races of the season, the Daytona 500 in California. Josh, this is the breakout season that we have been waiting for with William Byron for such a long time, easily an A+.
1: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And when you look at his wins, there's nothing in there where you're like, oh, this is a lucky win. This was a fuel strategy. This is a restrictor plate." Like, they're all hard-earned wins.
0: Unlike his teammate, right? Right. <laughs> I had a throw Oh, so, yeah,
1: definitely, definitely an A-plus for Willie B. He's having a hell of a season.
0: I mean, Las Vegas and Phoenix, his car was awesome there at the end of the race. You know, Darlington, you know, Darlington, I mean, he definitely was in prime position when Chastain and Larson took each other out, but he was up there all day. And Darlington, can you believe that, Josh? That was the 100th win for the 24 car. Wow. Unbelievable. I think this is definitely the year that he goes to the championship for. <laughs> yeah, you would think. Up next is the 31 of Justin Haley, 23rd in points, 284 points on the year. A best finish of sixth in the Bristol Dirt Race. Three top tens, 15 laps led, one DNF. It's definitely enough.
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: I didn't have much expectations for Justin going into this year, but you figured that it, he was going to do better than last year. And honestly, colleague as a whole, I think they're, they're even worse this year. Yeah, they are. And up next, we have the front row motorsports duo of Michael McDowell and Todd Gilliland. Michael's best start on the year was third at Sonoma. His best finish was sixth at Richmond, three top tens on the year. Twelve laps led, one DNF, nineteenth in points with three hundred seventeen points. Michael McDowell, I definitely feel, is in the C plus category as well as Todd Gilliland.
1: Right, yeah, I was gonna go to C there for McDowell, but he's running about where you'd expect him to, but it's still kind of disappointing.
0: It definitely is, and I feel like some of it was, you know, Blake Harris being hired to go work with Alex Bowman over at Hendrick Motorsports. I feel like. Michael was definitely having a career year last year, even even more so than when he won the Daytona 500. I felt like they were a great duo together, and right. I don't have anything against you know Travis Peterson. You know Travis was Chris Buescher's engineer. He was Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s engineer as well. His final year at Hendrick Motorsports, but Blake Harris is definitely an upgrade over Travis Peterson. Right, and Todd Gilliland, 24th in points, 279 points on the year a best finish of 8th at the Bristol Dirt Race, three top 10s on the year. He hasn't led any laps, but he only has two DNFs. And a majority of the races, he's had to go in the 51 car with Zane Smith being in the 38. Todd, I feel like this is definitely C-plus material because I feel like he's getting the most out of his equipment and he's also handling a crappy situation like that, like a true professional.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. C-plus sounds good.
0: Yeah. Todd is another one of them that you definitely would love to see what he could do in in top-notch equipment. Definitely. Up next... Excuse me. Up next is the 41 of Ryan Priest. 25th in points. 269 points. He did win the first pole of his career at Martinsville Speedway. But Josh, his best finish on the year is 12th at Phoenix. And... 141 laps led on the year, but 135 of those were the first 135 laps at Phoenix. Four DNFs <laughs> on the year. If it wasn't for how dominant he was at Martinsville before he spent on Pitt Road, it definitely would be enough. I got to give right. a D.
1: I'm going to give him an F just because my expectations for him this year were through the roof. So, yeah. based it's off rough. of that, he's going F.
0: And he dominated the last half of the clash before he had the battery issue. Right. And he was running, and I mean, Daytona's Daytona, but a majority of the 500, he was running second or third before he got caught up in a wreck. Yeah. They've really been disappointing. These next two guys are surefire Fs. When the 42 <laughs> of Noah Gregson and the 43 of Eric Jones. Honestly, Josh, to me, now that I think of it, Eric Jones gets my vote for most disappointing driver this year because when I did my show back in February, the, my Daytona show, I actually had Eric Jones making the playoffs this year just based off of winning the Southern 500 and how good he and Dave Ellens looked. All right. But Noah, Noah's best finish was 12th at Atlanta, two laps led, five DNFs. He missed gateway because of concussion or misanoma because of concussion-like symptoms. Eric penalized 60 points after Gateway. His best finish is sixth at Talladega. Two top tens on the year. His only other top ten was the Bristol Dirt Race. 17 laps led, two DNFs. Legacy Motor Club by far is the most disappointing team this year.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I do think their transition to Toyota might have something to do with it, but but I'm not putting it all on that.
0: Even before the Toyota announcement, they were running terrible.
1: Yeah. Eric did show a little bit of promise in practice today, but who knows?
0: But, yeah, practice is practice, man.
1: Um,
0: yep. And that's the thing. And he has Dave Ellens with him this weekend because their appeal is going to be heard on Wednesday. But I doubt that's going to get anywhere. Right. And it definitely reminds me of Bill Davis Racing in 2003 when they had Dodge. And they caught, the you know, the, the word caught fire that they were doing all the work with Toyota and Dodge just sort of cut all their support right then and there. That's definitely what it reminds me of. Yeah. Up next is the 45 of Tyler Reddick, 13th in points, 420 points. Best start, second at Coda and Sonoma. He did win Coda in dominant fashion. Five top fives, seven top tens, 168 laps led on the year, three DNFs. Tyler... You want to give him an A, but I would have to say more so maybe about a B-plus or so.
1: Yeah, I'd go with a B on that one. I think he's had a decent season, but I think it could be better.
0: Your pick to win the championship.
1: Yeah, I'll stick with it for that reason, but I'm not super confident with it.
0: Yeah, I feel like they have the speed and they have the potential, but right now I don't see them as Final Four material.
1: No, I don't either.
0: Now, up next is our Daytona 500 champion, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He did start second at Fontana. He's 14th in points right now with 400 points. He has two top fives on the year. His other top five was the Bristol Dirt Race. Five top tens on the year, 21 laps led, one DNF. And honest, and the one DNF was when he blew the brake rotor a gateway. Honestly, Josh... I would probably have to say Ricky Stenhouse has been one of the more pleasant surprises this year.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Now, as far as a grade, I would definitely, I mean, winning the Daytona 500 is special, but we even said the first few weeks of the season, you know, are they going to be able to maintain that throughout the season? And I feel like he and Mike Kelly have done a really, really good job. So I, I don't know. I'd probably have to go with about a B.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. The Daytona win definitely pushes it up a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Up next, <laughs> the moment you've yeah. been waiting for is the number 48 of Alex Bowman. And honestly, Josh, would you have to say probably the most confusing season in NASCAR this year?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a head-scratcher.
0: I, and, I, and I don't mean that in a smart-ass way. I don't. But it's like it's like Dale Jr. said on his podcast yesterday, you know, at the beginning of the year they had so much speed, and you were you thought like this team was was really on the brink of, you know, ha- having having a breakout and winning a race or two and doing great things, and I almost feel like the greenhouse uh, penalty at Richmond, and then of course you know Alex missing three races with the fractured vertebrae, a fourth if you count the All Star race, it's definitely been a mystery this year. But here's the thing, even with him missing three points races, he's 16th in points with 331 points, you add on the, the 60 point penalty after Richmond, the pulse that for the Daytona 500. What a shock, huh? <laughs> but three top fives on the year. He finished third at Las Vegas and Coda and his other top five was fifth in the, in the Daytona 500. Six top tens on the year. 47 laps led, zero DNFs. I mean, for missing three races, to be penalized all those points, and right now have the final playoff spot, I'd... Honestly, I feel like that, that's maybe B or B-minus material, I guess.
1: I think this is another one I'm going to have to give an incomplete to for, for yeah. because of the injury. But... And... Go ahead. I, I think this one could affect him a little more than Chase with the leg, simply because you it's know you're bad. sitting in the seat, the compression, all that. Yeah. So, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in the playoffs somehow, but I, it's a little harder to say with the back stuff.
0: Even well, even with Alex, and like you and I were saying, when surprisingly he was leading the championship earlier this year, I said it right then and there. I'm like, they got to rack up the playoff points because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now, dude, he's negative five in playoff points. And huh. the laps led on the year, 47 laps led. And a majority of those laps were the Daytona 500 in California, the, the first two races of the year.
1: So but, even despite missing the three races, he'd be in if the playoffs started today?
0: Yeah, yeah, he'd have the final that's, spot. That's crazy. That's and, and you know, for me, being his biggest critic, I feel like that that's what's most impressive about his season. Yeah, definitely. He has the final playoff spot with missing three races and being docked 60 points and it's definitely incomplete. Like you were saying, but honestly, man, I, I can't shy away from how he's, he's had a respectable year considering the circumstances, but those six top tens, Josh, you want to know when his last top 10 was one April 2nd at Richmond. Wow. So yeah, you're going on almost three months without a top 10 finish. And his last top five was Coda, March 26th.
1: I guess if I had to give him a grade, since he did only miss three races, I would probably go with a B-. Yeah,
0: that sounds about right. I feel like he and Blake Harris, they already have great chemistry, but they definitely have to win. Otherwise, they definitely run that risk of missing the playoffs. Yep. So we're down to the 54 of Ty Gibbs. Let's face it, he has rookie of the year in the bag at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So he's 18th in points with 320. He started third at Talladega. He had a trio of ninth place finishes in a row, Atlanta, Coda, and Richmond. And a matter of fact, all of his top tens came in a row, four in a row. He scored his first top ten of the season at Phoenix. Four laps led on the year, two DNFs for Ty Gibbs.
1: Uh. I'm going to go with a C plus, I guess.
0: I mean, it is Kyle Bush's old team.
1: Right. And, and, he, and even the last two years, Kyle Bush wasn't exactly turning it up.
0: Well, I think more than anything, I just feel like he and Ben Bayshore were, were not a great combination together. Right. I mean, look at him already with Randall Burnett. Like you, you swear the two of them have been working together for six, seven years.
1: Yeah. The change of scenery definitely
0: helped. It, it definitely has and you know, Ben, Has been demoted back down to the Xfinity series and I forget what car he's on. I think it's, I don't know if it's the 18 or the 19 car in Xfinity, but he hasn't really done anything this year.
1: Now, do you think Ty gets a win this year before it's over?
0: I doubt it, honestly. I feel like he's better. I feel like he's going to get some top fives, but I feel like that first cup win, it'll probably be in 2024.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Now the next one is the 77 of Ty Dillon. 32nd in points, 146 points, a best finish of 14th at Talladega, four DNFs. It's an F, dude.
1: Definitely an F.
0: Like, and honestly with Ty, it makes you wonder, like, really, what should he do with his career? Like, should what? should he retire? Should he take a front office job with his dad at RCR? Should he go down to Xfinity? Like, I, I don't know. And he's
1: definitely shouldn't be racing in the cup series, that's for no, sure.
0: Honestly, if I were Ty, and as crazy as this may sound, if I were Ty, knowing that he's always had a strong relationship with Dale Earnhardt Jr., and he has bass pro shops just like Dale Jr. and Josh have, if I were him, I'd be talking to him about trying to get in that A car next year.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, honestly, that's probably the only thing I think that could save his career.
2: Yeah, that'd be a good move.
0: But honestly, as you know, with with me, Josh, at this point, I want Carson Hosevar to take over Josh Berry's car next year.
2: Right.
0: I feel like he's, he's definitely one of the next big talents in the sport. Yeah. And finally, the 99 of Daniel Suarez, 17th in points, 328 points on the year. He started second at Martinsville. His only top five is the fourth at Fontana. Five top tens, 16 laps led, three DNFs he's definitely one of the more disappointments on the year. Honestly, with Daniel, I'd probably have to say about a C-. minus.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. And that's only because he's 17th in points. Otherwise, it would probably be a D.
0: Yeah, because I mean, he was, if not for the power steering pump going out at Charlotte, he was going to make the round of eight last year. Right. So, I mean, he's definitely taking a gradual step back.
1: He's got to turn it on if he expects to make it.
0: So, real quick, Sunday night at Nashville, seven o'clock on NBC. I want to get your pick and also your championship four. for me personally okay. I'm with Truex on Sunday night. Truex, yeah.
1: I'm gonna go with Redick.
0: Nice, fastest in practice, man.
1: Yeah, I'll look at the lap averages at, at a later time. But
0: he had the fastest. Yeah, I
1: think Did he? Yeah. Yeah, I think Reddick's going to be the one to beat.
0: My final four at the moment, it's Truex and then a trio of Chevys. It's Larson, Byron, and Bush. Okay. Yeah. What about you?
1: Uh, Final four, I'd go Truex, Bush, Byron, and Blaney.
0: Solid. Absolutely solid, man. Well, Josh, I appreciate you um, taking part in this podcast tonight. It's been a lot of fun, man, and I'm definitely looking forward to the next one in now.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, the Average Joes will be putting out a fantasy podcast before long.
0: You versus Jason Boone. I can't wait for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'll do it for episode 128. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy the second half of the year. Enjoy Nashville. Y'all take it easy.
2: Take care.